And I mean, like, everyone's trying to tell me their issues, and I'm like, bitch, can you just cue up my drum? Welcome to Rebel Girls Book Club. I'm Harmony. And I'm Maggie. And we're here to take an intersectional, feminist approach to books from all over the spectrum. Bestsellers, we've got you covered. That one book from English class you hated while you read but you can't forget? We've got that too. Comic books? Nonfiction? It's all right here. So grab your tea, grab your blanket, and let's get rebellious about your favorite new reads. Hello, welcome back to Rebel Girls Book Club. My name is Maggie. I wasn't ready because I had my heater turned on, but my name is Harmony. Hello. Today we're reading Clap When You Land by Elizabeth Acevedo. And Maggie, I'm really excited to know about what you thought about this book because I read it back in the summer and I'm really excited to share it with you and I'm eager to know about your thoughts. Yeah, this is my third book by Elizabeth Acevedo, and she just gets better and better every single time. I read With the Fire on High, and then I read The Poet X, and now I've read Clap When You Land. And she just has such a way with words, which I mean, she's a poet, so obviously. But I think that writing a novel in verse is really, really difficult because poetry and prose are designed to communicate to very different things. And Elizabeth Acevedo is really just a master, I think, of telling a character-driven story that's got a plot that moves you forward, but using the imagery and metaphor and emotional power of poetry to connect you to those characters. So I was really taken in by this enmeshing here. Would you like to give a summary for the story? Would you like me to give a summary for the story? Where? How do you want to go? <laughs> yes, I can give a summary for the story. Okay, so Clap When You Land is about two sisters. One who lives in... Now I'm blanking. Where does she live? One lives in New York City and the other lives in the Dominican Republic. That's what I thought. Okay, yes. One who lives in the Dominican Republic and one lives in New York City. And neither of them know about the other. And towards the beginning of the book, there is this horrible tragedy where they find out that their father has passed away in a plane crash. And then these secrets start to unfold where they realize that their father had a secret life where he had a family in America and then another family in the Dominican Republic. And the daughters meet and get to know each other and contend with this this betrayal that they each feel and having been lied to by their father. I think that this book is about, I mean, many things. It's about secrets like Harmony mentioned. This secret unraveling with their father's death is sort of the catalyst for a lot of the tension in the book. But this is also inherently a book that's about grief, It's about these two girls coming to terms with the fact that their father, who was extremely beloved by both of them, they had a great relationship with him. Not only are they dealing with the fact that he's gone, but they're also dealing with the fact that he wasn't the person that they really thought that he was, which is a whole separate kind of grieving process. And coming to terms with the fact that while he was a fabulous father, he wasn't always great to other people. 
in his life in terms of the two women he was married to and sort of the double family situation. And then I would say this book is also about what it means to discover that you have other family in the world later in life, specifically discovering that you have a sister later in life and what that bond and what that relationship looks like, especially when there's sort of a cultural difference that's kind of at the center of their relationship. Something that I kind of want to dive into in this episode that really struck me about their relationship is they meet or find out about each other a little over halfway through the novel, which I thought was really interesting. And something, a theme that Elizabeth Acevedo sets up from the beginning is this idea of place and home and how those two things relate to one's cultural identity. One of our main characters is Dominican and lives in the Dominican Republic. And her place is, and that physical sensation of home is really tied to her identity. And our other character lives in New York City, has never stepped foot in the Dominican Republic. Her mother feels as though she never should step foot in the Dominican Republic. But if you asked her about her cultural identity, she says early in the novel, she would say she is Dominican. And how does she relate to that culture and that identity when the place that's associated with this culture she's never related to? So we start from these two different mindsets. And as these sisters meet each other, we see the ways in which this mindset and cultural identity kind of clash as they're getting to know one another in some ways and mesh in others. So I said a lot there about, I think, my general thoughts. Harmony, you can kind of jump off any of that. But that was one thing that I thought was really interesting and engaging about how she built their relationship. That is really fascinating. I hadn't considered as in-depth as you have the cultural identity thing that's going on there. But when you said it, it kind of, it, it resonated for me a lot because I I think both sisters really envy the other. When we were talking, when you were talking about the father being a good father, to me, it really only stood out that he was a good father to your Hira because yes, he's trying to get his other daughter into college in the US, but he spent most of his life with Yahira. But I think Yahira is also envious because her sister got to know this part of her father that she never got to know. And her sister can feel the same way, but it's the fact that that is their homeland and that's a part of herself that she never knew. So for her, it's really like a discovery into self-identity Whereas for your Hira, it's like this big betrayal and coming to terms with the fact that she was kind of chosen to be the less taken care of, of the two sisters. Yeah, you're right. I think that is a really important distinction because while Camino loves her father, she also desperately wishes he was around more often and also really doesn't understand why he's so against her coming to the States. Whenever she talks about it, he's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. She finds out later in the novel, of course, after his death, after all of these secrets come out, that he'd actually been planning for her to go to Columbia. And he was really proud of her that she had these aspirations. But this double life did cause a lot of jealousy. And it's interesting because the jealousy you're talking about for Camino specifically almost happens after the fact, right? Because in the moment, while a lot of this relationship building is happening, right, she thinks she's his only kid and that this is his only family and that the jealousy isn't of her sister until after his death. So it shapes their relationship in a different way when she essentially realizes that she's, for lack of a better term, like a summer vacation kid almost, because that's the only time that she sees him every single year. 
And I think for Yahira, the jealousy aspect is, is that more complicated relationship with cultural identity. And also I think the fact that to her, Camino's relationship to their father might seem a little bit less complicated in some ways because she only got him for a shorter part of the year. And she probably views their situation as being, well, she gets him for a shorter amount of time. She had a lot of pressure related to chess, related to her relationship to her father and the entire last year of her relationship with him after she found out that he had another wife in the Dominican a lot of the toxic aspects of their relationship come out and kind of come forward. And she has a lot of regrets about that after he dies, of course, because she essentially hadn't spoken to him for an entire year leading up to that after this revelation. So I think it is, I, I think that you're right. It is more complicated than saying that he was a good father to them. I mean, I think that he he was in many ways. Many of the adult figures in in the girls' lives sort of emphasize this fact, but it's more complicated than that too because of the divided nature and aspect of his life and therefore how differently his relationship with his kids has to come about as a result of that. Wow. I think one of the important things for me as a reader of this book and kind of putting on my librarian hat as somebody who wants to recommend this book to young people is the fact that it depicts I mean, the sister relationship is one thing, and that's beautiful, but I really loved the fact that it depicted this complicated parent relationship, right? And we even have, like, a complicated relationship between Camino and her father's wife, Yahira's mom, and I found that really important and beautiful, too, because I feel like when you're a teenager, your parents, no matter what, they're your community, even if they're a pretty horrible community, those are the people that you have in your life because you legally have to. And so it was beautiful seeing that these things are naturally kind of complicated because people aren't perfect by any means. And then also seeing some of that get resolved or how we how we can deal with that and how we can deal with that while still, not that this is a path for everybody, but it was in the books, still finding some source of love, you know, and community from it. And I think something that makes this book about grief so powerful to me is then the ways in which that they have to not only reckon with that relationship, but also reckon with the place that their father had in either of their, in both of their lives, in both the metaphorical sense of the hole he's leaving behind, which for both girls is very different just because he spends nine months of the year with one of them and three months with the other but also in terms of the the monetary and fiscal and financial aspects of things because he was the sort of the breadwinner for for both families especially important for Camino and her tia who is are essentially entirely subsisting for the most part off of their poppies income and what he sends to them but then just thinking about the ways in which Elizabeth Acevedo talked about the the settlement aspect of that. There's this really interesting part in the middle of the book on page 185, where Yahaira is sitting in the kitchen with her mother and her tío Jorge. And the like representatives from the plain people come and talk about what they're going to get as a result of this horrible accident. And Yahaira has this section where she says, things you can buy with half a million dollars, a car that looks more like a space creature than a car a designer platinum purse to carry a small dog, a small dog, a performance by your favorite musical artist for your birthday, 
a diamond-encrusted bottle of Dominican rum, a mansion, a yacht, a hundred acres of land, houses but not homes, all four years of college or beautician school and certificate, 500 flights to the Dominican Republic, a half-million-dollar store chest sets with their accompanying boxes, 100,000 copies of Shakespeare's The Tempest, apparently a father. And I think that that aspect was so interesting to me and so well done in the sense of how does one measure the space and weight of a person in one's life when they're grieving them? And how do you make amends when something terrible happens? How do you mentally process all of that? But also, how do you logistically process all of this? The logistics of death are huge parts of both Camino and Yahira's thought process here. A lot of this novel in the back half takes place as they're both figuring out what his funeral is going to look like. They meet at his burial after Yahira essentially sneaks down to the Dominican Republic to bury him because she wants to be there and then she wants to meet her sister. Yahira's mother has a really hard time understandably moving forward with the logistical aspects of her life. And she says in two pages before this passage about apparently a father, the thing that the airline people don't say is that they're sorry. And she ends a passage being like, say you're sorry about all of this. So there's also this aspect of reckoning with the space and weight family has in your life in so many different aspects in so many different ways. And the ways in which the sisters, when they realize their sisters, are able to start to build the bonds where they can fill some of that space for each other. And you only see the very beginnings of it at the end of the novel because we end at the very beginning of their relationship getting to know each other. But they both see these aspects in each other that are, this is like Poppy and this is like Poppy and this is like you and this is what I like about you and this is kind of how we mesh together. And for Camino especially, who doesn't have any other blood family in the world, feels very much, this is a lifeline for me. This is a way to move forward as she's kind of reckoning with this void. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, what you articulated to me brought up the idea that we are measured by our relationships with other people, right? Because obviously these are parts of their father because they have some sort of blood relationship. But more than that, they're parts of their father because their father had a different effect on both of them. And by knowing each other, they get to see more of who their father is, right? That's beautiful. (laughs) Um, And I think that we all kind of do that. So it makes a lot of sense to me, right? I'm a different person with you than I am with any other relationship. So by knowing more of the people our loved ones loved, we can build that sense of bond and community. That's just beautiful, Maggie. I love that. Thanks. I think that it was really beautiful. And I think, I mean, this might take us on a different track and I don't know if we want to follow this, but as somebody who is relatively young and has gone through the grieving process, I I think maybe an above average amount of times in my, in my life, there's been a, there's been a lot of loss in my life. I feel like Elizabeth Acevedo depicted grief in this novel in a really beautiful way and also in a really unique way between both girls it did not feel like both of their processes for processing for processes for processing it did not feel like both of their processes for understanding their own grief was the same in any way and she and she did address both the emotional impacts and the logistical day-to-day life impacts 
And I don't want to harp on that too much, but I think it is a part of grief that I don't often see portrayed in media. But in my experience is actually one of the biggest parts of the grieving process is my day to day life now has actually fundamentally changed in who I'm taking care of and who I'm seeing and how I'm paying for this and what my future looks like. And I think that for a novel about grief, we also fall back on relationship building because it's not just this relationship between the two sisters that comes about. It's also Yahira going to her girlfriend, Dre, when things get really tough and her family, the Johnsons, who she's known for forever. And understanding the ways in which her relationship with them has now kind of shifted. There's a moment in the novel where Yahira talks about the fact that she's always felt loved and safe and at home in the Johnson's house, but she can't be there right now because she can't be in a space that isn't still processing the fact that her father has died, essentially. And as much as she sort of pulls the wool over her mother's eyes a little bit when she flies down to the Dominican Republic, her mother comes straight after. And she's able to have an open and honest communication with her mother in many different ways for some of the first time in this novel. There's this beautiful line about she's talking to her mom and she's like, and she's essentially like, mom, does it bother you that I look so much like Poppy? And she's like, I see you all over the place. And it doesn't matter what the rest of the world sees. She says something like, I have my fingerprints all over you and I know that and that's what matters. So we see this new parental bond forming. And for Camino, there's also the relationship with her best friend who's just had a baby who was very premature. And seeing that relationship bond and her relationship with her aunt who's a healer, who's the reason she wants to be a doctor as they lean across each other. So it's not just about this new relationship budding. It's it's also about community and the relationships you fall back on in tough times. You're so right. And throughout this book, what we see, both Yahira and Camino end up extending their communities to each other. So bringing it back to the point of identity, they're able to, they're, they're able to not just piece their father together through their relationship. They're able to piece together both of their identities. I think earlier in this episode, I said that for Yahira, this seemed more like a quest about identity. But you're right. This is I, this ends up being a quest for identity with Camino too, because they're bo- they're both able to build those transnational cultures and understand these parts of themselves that existed elsewhere. Wow, that's very interesting. <laughs> I think it is really interesting, and it's different because I think that I think that one of the key differences is that the root cause almost of the quest is a little bit different, right? Yahira feels as though she is an identity and that identity is Dominican, but also feels inherently divorced from that identity. And she talks about, would this place even recognize me when I set foot there, even though I feel so connected to it. And that's something she's very concerned about, even as she's on the plane there and she's stressed out because she's on a plane and her father died in a plane crash. And that's a whole thing. But for Camino wanting to go to New York and being part of her father's life there and having these dreams of Columbia and having dreams of being a doctor is like wanting to 
embrace a new part of her identity and bring something brand new into the fold. So on the one hand, we have a quest for identity that validates something that one main character already feels. And we've got another quest of identity to say really purposefully, I want to go here and be this thing. And this is the best way to do it. And I'm going to do whatever I have to, to make that happen. And actually one of the almost kind of cultural misunderstandings that happens between the two girls is almost an idea of grit and street smarts. And Camino feels really strongly that because she grew up in the Dominican Republic, Yahira had a much cushier life, much more comfortable life. It, it, there's a, like this idea that almost nothing bad could ever happen to Yahira because she was living in New York City. And we know from Yahira's point of view that that isn't correct on a lot of levels. As a content warning for the novel, there is a scene of sexual assault that happens to Yahira. It's on page. It is pretty brief, but there's this tie between the two girls as they're navigating this world. And Camino feels like she's the only one who could have street smarts because of where she grew up. And Yahira feels like she's got plenty of street smarts because she grew up in New York City. But when she gets to the Dominican Republic, she starts slowly while she's there to see the ways in which she wasn't exactly prepared for what specifically was happening in this context. So there is this fundamental misunderstanding between the two of them of thinking that they were both, that they both understood the context that the other person grew up in more than they already did, which plays out in a really interesting way. Yeah. And to be clear, to go back to the community thing, to be clear, I don't think I explicitly said this before, but when I mean that they swapped communities, I don't just mean of place, though place is a big part of that. But they, as I mentioned before, start forming relationships with each other's communities, even though for Camino, we don't see some of that until it happens off the page. Yeah, this <laughs> this idea of having a false understanding of cultural context is really interesting to me. I think that Yahira ends up going to the Dominican Republic and kind of realizing some of her privilege and unpacking that. But I agree with you that for Camino, she has this false understanding and envy, as we spoke about earlier, of her sister having all of these things that she never did and having an easier lifestyle and being, you know, privileged because of that. But she doesn't have the full context for what Yahira's life looks like. And it's interesting because I had forgotten that Yahira ends up being sexually assaulted, but Camino also has a similar experience like that later in the book. So that's a that's an interesting thing that Acevedo did that paralleled their two stories because they're linked not just in terms of their family or in terms of their ethnicities and cultures, they're linked because they have shared oppressions in this world by both being young brown women. But yeah, that's very fascinating. <laughs> no, it is super fascinating. And I don't want to harp too much on the sexual assault scenes either, just because there's so much other wonderful content to talk about. And while they happened in the book, they weren't like the central theme necessarily. But one of the main misunderstandings between the two of them is that the man who assaults Camino is a human trafficker. And that's what he's up to in the book. And he's continually sort of pressuring Camino to get involved with him in ways that we don't really understand, but are heavily implied. And pretty much right when the two girls meet each other, they see El Cero and Yahira points to him and Camino kind of rubs the situation off and is like, you know, we, we've got to go. And Yahira says something akin to like, 
you know, like I understand this stuff happens in New York too. And Camino is like, you, there's no way you could understand. Like you have no idea what this context is and what's happening. And so when we see how things end up at the end, Yes, on the one hand, Yahira didn't deal with this very specific situation. But on the other hand, there is a bond that forms or like a parallel that forms between the two of them because of this that they didn't understand between one another at first. And I think it's also interesting because that's a bond that really only the reader sees. We don't see them talk to each other about this shared connection in the novel Yahira doesn't share this with Kamino after she's assaulted, right? She just helps takes care of her because she's been in a similar situation and has a sense of what her sister needs because of it. But it's the ways in which their lives often sort of feel like parallels of each other in many little ways that feel really connected, right? And those are some of the ways in which they start to find, I think, connections to each other, those similarities, as much as they find the differences. One of the biggest differences is that Yahaira, their father teaches her to play chess and chess is like her thing. And it's something she does, but not necessarily something she loves. And Camino's thing is swimming and swimming in the ocean. And that was also her thing with her father, but she does really love it. And it simplifies her relationship with him in some ways while it complicates well, the chest complicates Yahira's relationship with him because of just how they both connected with those things. But you see these little glimpses of this is something specific he passed down to them and they're different things. But she's very clever in the way that she interweaves their narratives to be different people, of course. But you can see the ways in which they were raised by the same person. Yeah, I hadn't paid enough attention to that during my first reading. So I'm glad that you pointed it out, Maggie, but you're absolutely right. We get to see their lives paralleled and interweaved throughout. So it's a very it's a very interesting craft choice. But I think that to bring it back to some of the larger themes that we see here, if I were to assign extra meaning <laughs> than necessary to this novel, I think what I would say is that kind of showcases how people have connections in general. I don't need to know someone in order to have some sort of similarity or to have the potential to build community with them. And it's beautiful that she is exploring community at all of these very various ways, right? She has it on the blood level. She has it in this identity level. She has it in terms of culture. And then she's also showcasing that you can be absolute strangers and still have these connections because that is the actual case for these two people, right? They they are connected, but in, in reality, they are strangers. So that's that's just very fascinating to me. <laughs> no, it is really interesting because when I first heard the pitch of this novel, I initially thought that, you know, Camino and Yahira were going to meet like at the beginning, essentially, right? And they and they don't, I think I mentioned earlier, they meet a little over halfway through the novel. Uh, not even meet, they don't, they don't even know the other person exists until a little over halfway through the novel. So it's really about setting them up as individual people, laying out their commonalities first, giving you a sense of who they are and then their communities, and then slowly building bridges between the two of them where you can see how they're going to move forward. And they do move forward together. At the end of the novel, Zoila, who is Yahira's mother, agrees to move Camino back to the U.S. with them. And she's going to come live in New York. It was revealed that she was actually setting up to have her visa set up for August, that Camino was going to be able to come pretty much the entire time. But you're seeing the seed of growing 
together, but it is just a seed. It is just these first tendrils of community and what it means to go from stranger to family so quickly, which I think is also an interesting thing to explore, right? Because this novel is also exploring what it means to lose somebody in your family that you've known your entire existence on multiple levels. Because it's not just from the girls, it's also about how Zoila deals with this. It's about how Camino's Tia deals with this, who knew their father his entire life. It's about that bedrock being gone just as much as it is about our understanding of family being kind of fluid and how it can change and how family bonds can come from anywhere at any time, as long as we're sort of open to that connection. And being open to the connection is really the first step because initially, and I think pretty understandably, both girls learn about the other one and kind of for a second are like, what the fuck do I even want this? Like, wh- why would I want a sister? This is crazy. When Camino first messages Yahira on Facebook, there's a whole section where Yahira is like, I'm not going to message her back. I don't need a sister. I don't need this. And then the very next page is her messaging her back. But there, but the idea of being open to it, the idea of family feeling like a set thing that you have your entire life and change and that being scary is also explored here. And I think that that's equally as important as this exploration of what happens when a bedrock aspect changes too. I had not considered that, but you're totally right. This book explores the fluidity of interconnections. And in particular, this is used through the lens of family. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else to add. But that's that's really interesting. And so I think readers, listeners, readers and listeners, if you're going to take anything away from this episode, if you haven't read the book yet, or you have read it and you want to recommend it to somebody, I think that's the tagline. It explores the interconnectedness or explores the fluidity of interconnectedness. I guess to move us away from that theme a little bit, we don't necessarily have to do a deep dive in this, but I also do want to point out that this is a queer novel too. And it's a really beautiful little love story. The relationship that Yahira has with her girlfriend, Dre, is, I would say, very much a side plot to what's going on. But I love, especially in YA, seeing representation where we've got a queer main character who knows she's queer. There's a little bit of tension, actually, between her and her girlfriend at the beginning because Dre is very loudly out, wants to be able to show off her girlfriend everywhere. And Yahira's a little bit more reserved about it. She's never officially come out to her mom, but her mom knows that her and Dre are together and it's cool, it's all good. And she's just a little bit more reserved into herself about it, but still comfortable with who she is. And their relationship is really good and sweet and supportive the entire time. And Dre is the person that Yahira goes to when things with her mother feel really rough and the entire world just feels like it's falling apart. And Dre is just this very nurturing person, not in the sense that she's motherly, but her whole thing is that she loves to garden. She loves to make things grow. When she learns that Camino is coming to New York City, she plants the medicinal herb garden for her on her fire escape, which is the single cutest thing that's ever happened. So this is also a really positive novel, I think, for for queer people and just seeing this really beautiful little relationship that isn't the center of the story by any means, but is a lovely side, like side moment for one of our main characters of support and loveliness that isn't rooted in any angst, which I mean, all of those stories and all queer experiences, I think are really important in YA novels, but this one holds a very special little place in my heart of just like, this is so sweet and so pure. It's true. This isn't a romance novel, so there really aren't a lot of relationships. In fact, I think that Yahira's is the only relationship that we really get to see other than the father's because he's deceased. (laughs) So it is a really nice little a really nice little subplot I guess seeing that this one the one romantic relationship we see does happen to be queer 
and it's a very cute and pure example of teenage love yeah for sure it's not like like I said it's not like a main thread throughout the story but I did just think it's important to point it out in the larger tapestry of things because it is really sweet and really cute and I think that it's important to see queer representation and in all shapes and sizes in books, you know? This isn't a queer book, but it's a book that's got naturally embedded queer relationships in it. And I love seeing stuff like that in places that I wouldn't necessarily expect to find it. I didn't I didn't walk into this thinking that I was going to see a cute little sapphic relationship. But when I found it, I was very happy. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about for this episode, Miss Maggie? I think I'm good. I guess my parting thoughts are really just that this is a very beautifully written novel with a very poignant and powerful message and wonderful characters. And I really do recommend it to anybody who thinks the pitch and the plot sound interesting because it's just so well done and so intricate on so many levels. I also don't know how many of our listeners are actually truly into the YA field, but I only discovered last year this great thing called the verse novel that primarily exists in YA writing. And this is one of them. And it's just such a fascinating take, even if you're someone that doesn't typically like poetry. And the few that I've read thus far have all been spectacular. So if you are new to the verse novel as a format, I highly recommend it. And Clap When You Land is a great starting point. Agreed. And I would also say that I think that Elizabeth Acevedo narrates all of her own audiobooks. At the very least, she narrated The Poet X, and she did a fabulous, fantastic job. That book specifically was about spoken word poetry, which is Elizabeth Acevedo's background. This book is a little bit more designed to be read on the page, I think, just in that there's really cool formatting stuff happening. But if you're not sure about the verse situation... Highly recommend the audiobooks. Elizabeth Acevedo is a fabulous narrator. And you really get into the rhythm and lilt of of the verse without sitting there and being like, I'm listening to six hours of poetry right now. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that. I think I mentioned it at the beginning, but this book is a great example of character-driven, plot-driven, but so much of the beautiful turn of phrase of poetry injected into the character's thoughts and feelings and emotions. Agreed. Miss Maggie, what are you reading? I am reading Migrations and Fat Chance Charlie Vega. What are you reading? I read I read several books since the last time we recorded. And right now I am reading With My Ears. I read them with my ears. Please hold. It's loading. It's called The Fate of Stars, a fantasy lesbian romance. And so far what I know is that it is indeed a fantasy, but I'm very early in. So I don't feel like I'm going to give you many spoilers. There are... Maggie's giving me such a look. Uh, Princess. This is what I know so far. Stay tuned next week if you want to hear the update on Harmony's Murphy. (laughs) This will get me fired someday. You heard it here first. All right. Stay tuned. What are we reading next week? Oh, I think that we actually have a break fun episode next week. Is that correct, Miss Maggie? That is correct. So tune in next week to hear Harmony and I talk about, I don't know, something random. And then the week afterwards, we're coming at you with another more traditional for RGBC episode. So stay tuned. Bye. Bye. Don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcatcher app. You can support this podcast by going to anchor.fm slash RGBC 
and clicking the support this podcast button. Our episode schedule can be found in our show notes or by going to our website, rebelgirlsbook.club and clicking read along with the show. You can follow us at RGBC Pod on Instagram, at Rebel Girls Book Club on Facebook, at Rebel Girls Book One on Twitter, and you can email us at rebelgirlsbookclub at gmail.com. Our theme song is called Pretty Boys Make Me Feel Ugly, and it's by The Gays. See you soon, and remember to read rebelliously. Rebel Girls Book Club is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.